Good evening, Wisdom Eccentrics by Natchang Rinpoche, Chapter 39, Part 2. Suffice it to say that it caused me to look at my life from a different perspective, one in which the familiar and the unfamiliar oscillate. Ordinary is whatever happens to be happening for long enough to get used to it. As soon as we got home, we began to plan the next pilgrimage. This time it would be to Nepal. On the 1995 pilgrimage, we were to stay at the Vajra Hotel near the Rangjung Churton in order that we could employ our time every day imbibing the atmosphere of that marvellous place. The Vajra Hotel was a good base from which to make our daily expeditions. This was to be the pilgrimage which supplied the pill that ameliorated the grim. As it turned out, however, the Vajra Hotel was the epicentre of canine cacophony. Scores of stray dogs lived in the environs of the hotel and they barked all night long. An American guest at the hotel had reached the end of her tether in respect of the nightly noise. We observed her remonstrating with the desk clerk. You have got to do something about those goddamn dogs. Such as what, I silently mused. Hire a gatling gun? I felt sorry for the lady and for the desk clerk. I avoided saying, only cure I know, lady, is leaving Kathmandu. When you've spent years in India and Nepal, you tend to take these things in your stride. But for newcomers, it's an experience. If you ever happen to meet me, ask me about the dogs of Dehradun. You might be amused. The bridge that leads to Kathmandu from the Vajra Hotel crosses a sewer which posed unconvincingly as a river. The stench, heavy, greasy and acrid, was enough to make the eyes water. In 95, a herd of pigs lived under the bridge in a festering morass of mouldering detritus. They ate it, defecated on it and slept on it. The fumes, little short of lethal, caused even the locals to wrap their faces in shawls as they crossed over. Nepal is a wonderland of contrasts. You can be ankle-deep in dung whilst surveying the peaks of the Himalayas. You can pass through Bedlam and arrive in some small room where, having met someone utterly marvellous, you'd be unable to stop smiling. Our main aim was to make visits to Yanglishu. We were to visit our friend Lama Gyaltsen at the Sogyal Gepojong Nyingma Retreat Centre, which we'd helped him establish in 1991. It lies near Kali, which is a 20-minute walk from the caves in which Padmasambhava meditated. Kyabje Chatral Rinpoche has a gompa there, and the entire area hums with history. The last time I'd seen Lama Gyaltsen was in 91, when he lived near the Vajra Hotel. Kandro Tenzin Drolkar had taken up residence at Sogyal Gepaljong 
some years after Yeshe Dorje Rinpoche passed away, and we were delighted to see each other again after such a short interval. I had visited her with Shardrell in 94. It was sheer pleasure to introduce Kandra Tenzin to Kandra Dechen and to see them smiling at each other without need of words. We ate a delicious lunch with Lama Gyaltsen and his charming Sangyum, Kandrod Tsering Wangmo, who was like a youthful version of Kandra Tenzin in terms of practice history. We talked of many things and laughed a great deal. The practitioners of Sogyo Gepojong had prepared a feast for our entire group, and everyone was exceptionally happy to be there. It was a home from home. We were a Nyingma Gurkha Changlo family, and I marvelled at the situation. It was not possible to be more contented or glad. Once we'd eaten our fill, Lama Gyaltsen said, Would you like to go up and see Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche? A simple question, but one which caused me a frisson of bewilderment. Yes, indeed, of course we would. Lead on, Carruthers. I couldn't resist the last comment. Kandrod Aitchen poked me in the ribs and chuckled. Now, Kunzang Dorje is not an unusual name in the Nyingma tradition. It's a little like John Smith. So, although I felt a certain frisson, I wasn't quite sure what to expect. If it was Kyabje Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche, surely Lama Gyaltsen would have mentioned it as soon as we arrived. So surely this was some other Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche. It was too much to hope that this was the Lama I so longed to see again, and so I willed myself into a non-committal frame of mind. No, I'd not allow myself to be disappointed. Not, not me. I was no longer the kind of Tomyor who'd get as excited as a five-year-old schoolboy about an anticipated Yuletide gift. All nonsense, of course. But I knew and hoped in spite of myself. Kanud Aitchen and I climbed the stairs, not entirely knowing who we were going to meet, but somehow tingling with the possibility that it might indeed be Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche. As we ascended the stairs, Lama Gyaltsen confided, You may remember Rinpoche, extremely wrathful, but he is complete change, no more wrathful, now very kind and friendly. He will be too glad to see you. It was then that I was sure that this Kunzang Dorje was indeed Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche. My mood expanded from the pleasure I'd felt enjoying a splendid repast with old friends. I was suddenly 23 years old again, although somehow steadied by experience of life as a Nyingma practitioner. I was no longer unsure of anything, and yet the old tremor of the unknown washed through me like a tide in a nameless sea. After climbing the stairs, I entered a sunlit room, and there he was. The Lama I'd missed so much. Oh, yeah, 
he exclaimed and grinned broadly. I was in mid-prostration when he caught my hand and pulled me onto the raised couch where he sat. The story of Paltrow flashed through my mind. It was the story that I didn't understand and the one about which Rinpoche had interrogated me back in 1975. Suddenly, twenty years vanished. I was sitting next to the wrathful Lama, but he was no longer wrathful. When we'd parted, he was no longer ferocious with me, but he'd still been innately intimidating. Now he rubbed my back with his hand. He placed his hand on my knee and said, Naktang Rinpoche, Yapodu, very good, very good. Then he laughed and called for Joma Sampaldechen, his wife and consort. I was delighted to see Joma Sampal again. She was older but still beautiful. Her face had changed in some ways and become more beatific. They were both overjoyed to meet Kandro Dechen. This Kandro, Rinpoche beamed, is the best possible Kandro. In every way she is perfect, Rinpoche exclaimed. I have been waiting for you both to come to see me. He held us both by the hands and alternated between laughing uproariously and saying in English, very good, very good. Then he hugged us both again. In 1990, I saw photographs of you when a student of Tarchin Rinpoche came to visit me. You were with Chimmy Rixin. You were wearing a takdrol and a shawl with brocade. Chimmy Rigsin Rinpoche had a shawl with Vadras. This was a good photograph. I knew that photograph. It had been taken in 1988 in Shaftesbury, Dorset. Chimmy Rigsin Rinpoche had wanted a formal photograph of the two of us together, and Rigsin had taken us to a professional photographer. I wondered how the photograph had made it out to California, where Tarchin Rinpoche lived but remembered that I sent some photographs to Tarchin Rinpoche in 1989 when he first established Pema Ursuling. Jimmy Rigsin Rinpoche, very fierce looking in this photograph, but you are also looking very strong, Rinpoche laughed, with very big eyes. I liked this photograph too much. Then he reached into his bag and pulled it out. He had other photographs too. It was almost as if he'd hired a journalist to keep tabs on me. The laughter and embraces and exclamations of very good cycled for an unusual length of time, and it occurred to me later that I could have continued with it the rest of the day. The fearsome personality I'd known was nowhere to be found in the beaming smiles and laughter of the Lama who suddenly treated me as if I were an old friend rather than a student. When something closer to everyday reality resumed, he turned to Kandrodachan. Scholars are of no importance to us. We do not need such people. What is important to us is Damna the quintessence teaching. Philosophy is for Tomyors, 
So why should Nakchang Rinpoche have anything to say about philosophy? Why should you have to say anything? Why should we debate with Tom yours? Knowledge that is merely information is useless. It is only the knowledge of direct experience that is important. Rinpoche went silent and cupped his hand to his left ear for some moments. If you hear the sound of the birds outside, if you really hear them, then you'll hear Guru Rinpoche's mantra. Silence, but for the sounds of birds twittering. If you hear in this way, you will know the result of the development and completion stage. Sogchen is then possible. Nakchang Rinpoche is the only guide you need. These tomyors with tengahs in their hands and pious faces, what's the meditation they are so proud to speak about? They speak of it with every other tomyor who will listen. It is only babble. Without contemplating the nature of mind, what is their druptab? They're reciting gibberish. This is called mantra clinging. This is called making projections and counting discursive thoughts. They're accumulating treachery rather than contemplation, and this has no good purpose. This was an amazing dissertation. Kandradechen had hardly known Rinpoche for ten minutes before he was treating her as if he'd known her for years. It was delightful. It made me smile about the way I laboured under the appellation of Tomyur. Kandur Echen was patently no Tomyur, and Rimshe knew that immediately. It's certain that there was never a pilgrim who wasn't prepared for hardship and discomfort, but it is equally certain that concepts of hardship vary among individuals. My own hardship was minimal but took the form of illness. I'd contracted food poisoning on the aeroplane flight and added amoebic dysentery for good measure not long after I landed. It knocked two weeks out of the pilgrimage for me and caused me to miss the journey to Maratika. It also caused me to miss visiting the Pamasambhava caves at Yangnishu on this occasion. I was too weak for the walk, and I took doctor's orders. I was to remain at Sogyal Gepaldong whilst Kandradechen accompanied our students to the caves in the company of Kandra Tenzin and Kandrad Sering. I decided to sit in the shrine room for the duration. I sat gazing at the statue of, statue of Dorje Truro. I'd not been there long, however, before Rinpoche appeared. Lama Gyaltsen had told him that I was down there and he'd come down immediately to see me. He burst into the room in the most extraordinary way, performing a series of impossible bounds. First he leapt a low table, then, without a pause, he leapt up onto the lower throne. Then, again without a pause, he leapt onto the high throne. Three easy bounds, occurring almost as if in slow motion. It was like something out of a Kung Fu movie. It was as if time had stopped. 
He then performed Garcham of Dorje Trullo on the high throne. Once completed, he sprang down from the throne and landed right next to me with hardly a sound. It was as if he had no physical weight. Rinpoche was not far off 70 years old at the time, so I was somewhat more than amazed. I knew he was a Tsar Lung master, but I never expected him to be able to leap like an Olympic athlete at his age. Rinpoche then demonstrated a series of trulkor exercises, interspersed with explanations, almost none of which I could understand, there being no translator. My Tibetan is fairly rudimentary, and although I could follow to a certain extent due to my knowledge of technical terms, the situation was mercurially unfathomable. And yet there was no need to know anything more than was apparent. I knew the Trulko exercises, so that was nothing that needed explanation. It seemed that Rinpoche was deploying these methods as a vehicle of transmission, and all I had to do was sit and wordlessly observe. It would have been possible to have called Lama Gyaltsen to translate, but Rinpoche waved the idea aside. The entire afternoon was transmission of the most extraordinary, referenceless poignance. Rinpoche simply talked incessantly, and I sat gazing at him as the words rolled like soft thunder or the sound of wind. His eyes were fixed on me and mine on his, and it was impossible to recall how much time was spent in this way. It turned out to be three hours, but I have no concept of how the time passed. Once Rinpoche had concluded his verbal communication, we sat in silence until Kandro Dechen, Kandro Tenzin and Kandro Sering returned with our party of students. We heard Kandro Dechen's voice and Rinpoche and I turned to each other and smiled. Oh yeah, Kandro returning. Rinpoche grinned knowing he had no need to be translated. <laughs>